Hello, my name is Ben. Hi, my name is Arden. And we are the hosts of the Too Vague podcast this week. We are going to be talking about a word. It's a monosyllabic word. Mm-hmm. And what is that word, Arden? That word tonight is tool. The but... word tool. So when I think of tool, I think of a toolbox. I think of actual tools. What What do you think of? I definitely agree with that, that you know, tool is always going to be... It's going to come to my mind as a crowbar or a shovel, yeah. something that can en- enhance our abilities right. as people, like yeah. becoming extensions of our arms or hands. Yeah. Tools to be used for doing tasks, right? For performing things, making things especially. Yeah. And that's something that we as humans have gotten very good at Yeah, is yeah. creating with tools. Right. And creating new tools to fit mm-hmm. certain situations. Um, you said crowbar. Is that crowbar. your favorite tool, or do you just like saying the word crowbar? I uh, It's both. I love both the word crowbar, because it involves my favorite bird, which is crow, and uh, the bar. It's just classic. And uh, Like the bar as in a bar of gold, or the bar, bar as in gold. going to the bar? Go go into the bar, definitely. <laughs> dive bar. Dive bar is another really fun bar word. It is a good uh, tool for crowing or bar. <laughs> it's a... <laughs> It's not a very descriptive tool, is no, it? No, and and that's sort of like I uh, I sometimes write horror stories, okay. and crowbar can play a very mean role. In right, it. right. And that's another thing about it as a tool is because it has this sort of mysterious, like you're never totally sure what it's for. Right. Uh, other than like creating leverage, that's right. that's what I've seen it right. used for. Right. But then uh, then that that emptiness, that vacuum of meaning, you can right. just put anything there. Yeah. Prying, prying things. Yeah, and, pulling and, apart. Right. And you made a very... Do you say leverage? Uh, I say leverage, but uh, leverage, I think, may be the more correct term. Communication is this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Yes or no? If yes... Continue. I try not to correct people because, you know, if I understood what they meant... Then what's the, what's then the problem? What's the problem? Yeah. There is no problem. But I hear that you have a problem with GIFs and GIFs. GIFs and GIFs, I do have an issue with yeah, that, and yeah. it's uh, it's going to be GIFs with that G. Right. Because uh, it's a graphical interface some, yeah, something. Yeah, I call them whatever I, I feel like calling them. As you should. You know? As you should. It's a, sometimes I call them a GIF, but when I think of GIF, I think of peanut butter. I agree. It's yeah. a peanut butter first yeah. for me. And, and, then, and then you get some people who go, is it called a giraffe? It's like, no, it's not called a graph, but it's also, you know, like it's the English language. We can, yeah. we change rules about how things are said oh, all the will, time. Willy nilly. It yeah. doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. But what this has to do with tools, I don't know. <laughs> I, well, language is a tool. Yeah. No, that's true. It, yeah. it's, a, it's a tool for communication. Indeed. And also, when I think tools, I also think instruments, right? Indeed. Uh, a tool and an instrument, they're kind of synonymous. I would definitely agree. Do you have any memories, crowbar or otherwise? Is there a favorite tool that you use daily mm. that is something that without it you would be like... At a loss. Yeah. Because um, for me, it's a cup. 
cups. <laughs> yeah, cups are like seriously important for yeah. uh, both carrying liquids and drinking them. It's a lot easier than your hands. Yes. Um, <laughs> Have you tried drinking co- hot coffee without your hand? You know what? Not, I <laughs> I wouldn't sign up for that if no, I were not you. at all. Yeah, You'd have to have to go to the hospital for all those blisters. Maybe, maybe, maybe. build build up some calluses. Oh, that's could be true. cool. Yeah, yeah that'd be, you could, could be, be all the right. rough and tumble coffee hand drinker. <laughs> Um, um, excuse me. Yeah. Uh, can I get that drink in my hand? I'll just, I'll, I'll cup just, it. It's <laughs> fine. You just, just right, right there. Right there. Steaming hot. Do you think someone hot. would do that? I think that given the right amount of, uh, compensation, yes, compensation if you Compensation is the word. Yeah. Compensation. Uh, they definitely do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, you got you get enough. You can probably make someone do that. Yeah. I just think, I just also think there is, there's a, a lawsuit Oh, waiting to happen. Waiting to happen with that. So I probably mm-hmm. would only do it with cold beverages. <laughs> I've been known to ask people for buckets of iced tea, but they never give it to me in a bucket. Ah, that would be a good... <laughs> you need more buckets on hand. Exactly. It's so, just the bigger cup. Yeah. Um, yeah. Who, who needs these Vente Trenta, you know? We need a bucket. Absolutely. You know what you're getting when you get a bucket of tea. You are getting all of that tea. All of it. All of it. All the stock. Yeah, the more I think about the word tool, it's just like you can consider a lot of things that you use day to day as tools, like a key or, mm. you know, like tool is a very large word. It is. It's, and it's kind of hard to figure out like what is your you most useful tool in your life and what is the most enjoyable tool. I have answers for both actually. Oh, excellent. Uh, Go uh, ahead. Soap would be the most useful because wow. That is very effective yeah. in keeping our society just a bit cleaner right. than it has been in the past. I think uh, I think I'd be miserable without soap. Okay, and a lot more sick. Yeah. Um, well, that's that's another thing too. There yeah. is a there is a um, a sanitation sort of use absolutely of that. Do you often question whether or not people wash their hands? Oh, all the time. Yeah, and. Uh, and I, I'll still like sort of uh, clock it if right. I see someone not washing their hands, and I'm just kind of gonna yeah. shake my head. Yeah. Like, Come on! That's when you get a handful of Purell and you shake their hand, <laughs> and you kind of force it on exactly. them. Exactly. You know? You're like, you can't get out of this, man. No. We're gonna make no, sure so your I'm hands sorry. are clean. Yeah, exactly. Just, I'm, it's I'm, no surprised, good. I'm surprised people don't do that. I, I mean, know. maybe they do. I don't know. I mean, you'd have to be pretty good to keep it stealthy. Yeah, you know, that's, like, oh, this, this is guy's true. hand was weirdly it's cold, kind of moist. Wet. I don't know. That was weird. But definitely my favorite tool would uh, have to be a uh, my PC. Oh, okay. That I had to hand build. And that gave me kind of a deeper insight into uh, putting together electronics than right. I think I've ever had before. And now it's like not only is it a way for me to play video games and relax, but it's also my writing mm-hmm. tool. It's my it's how I browse the internet. Right. And right. so it serves a bunch of purposes for yeah. me. It's a it's a multi tool. It's a multi tool, yeah. yeah. The use of tools changes too. Like something is designed for a particular purpose, but if it's suited for another purpose, and that I think something like the computer has evolved as far mm-hmm. as what it's used for. Initially, I think with computers it was for processing data. Yeah. And primarily that was that was the function. That was it. It's now become something that is 
used in day-to-day life by everyone, like their phones. Mm-hmm. And, and to consume media and to hopefully learn, you know. Uh, but also, it can be misused tools. Um, and I think that's also one of the things that computers and the internet kind of do, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, almost, I feel like all, you can sort of lump most tools into being double-edged swords. Right, and right. Like yeah. inventions. Any invention yeah. as, as it's, you know, people misuse something, right? They're, they're gonna. It's yeah. almost unavoidable that something is going to be misused. That brings up an interesting story. Alfred Nobel... Uh, born in, in October of 1833 uh, in Stockholm, Sweden, was a chemist and engineer inventor. But most of his inventions, dynamite was the most famous wow. of his inventions. And he felt a sort of a guilt about that. Yeah. That it could destroy. So then, according to his will and testament, read in Stockholm, after his death, he wanted to establish a foundation that would serve humanity because Absolutely. he felt a lot of guilt with his inventions. Yeah. So from something that he felt was negative came something that was rewarding people for coming up with inventions that, uh, that help humanity because he, had, yeah. he harbored some guilt. You know, I don't know how many inventors harbor guilt for their inventions. Not or, not too many, as far or, as I know. Or at least say anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, the atomic bomb being one of those One of those, those real things. big ones, yeah. yeah. Oh, that Oppenheimer, uh, what he uh, yeah. said about becoming deaf. Right. Like, was there, was there any guilt when he was saying that? Or was it more of a, uh, like, a yeah, brag? look at me. I'm, yeah. I'm like... It, you know, and that's the thing, too, that... You know, it has to be something that if you caught it on film or or you could, you know what I mean, yeah. or an audio, you'd be able to tell a little bit more than just writing it. Absolutely, which is one of the tricks of writing. Um, mm-hmm. It's it's some of the some of the things the emotions don't come not not as viscerally no. at all. And uh, actually, as a writer, that's something I've had difficulty with. Is yeah, giving that level of emotion that is almost unattainable with just having someone read my words in their brain. Yeah. And as a writer, I think one of the the tools of that trade, being able to write characters that you can connect with. Yeah. You know, that I, I think maybe maybe that's not a tool so much as a, it's a thought process. I always had problems when I was writing, uh, trying to get the the character to have a unique voice that didn't sound like my voice. Yeah. It's a challenge. Yeah. And and I think that that was, that was one of the things, one of the tools that I tried to use was sort of an acting sort of methodology where I would sort of put my head in the mind of of the the character, Mm -hmm. but it's still, and maybe this is me just being overly critical of myself, but it just still always sounded like my voice. It, it's not at all. I feel like as a writer myself, I, I sort of definitely give uh, my own characters my own way of speaking sometimes. And right. it's really hard to get out of that habit. Yeah. Do you have any tools that you use to, to circumvent that kind of thing? Or do you, do you Most, have any sort of, uh, you know, any kind of hints or tips? I, I, would, I would call them tools, right? Yeah. Uh, for me, it's mostly just trying to really 
call back to what makes the character the the character giving them a backstory right and their own memories to pull from right like if a character had a let's make this dark an alcoholic father who right. swore a lot okay that character would then swear more during their uh whenever they spoke right and so trying to get into different cadences for them and yeah. different uh word uses yeah because almost everyone does have this sort of like they have favorite words that they like to use right and they'll use that more often than others given that chance yeah. so mostly yeah. just uh rearranging uh, what words are there and how they are utilized. Yeah. How much of a parallel do you think is you know, writing and acting is? Because it seems like there are a lot of the same tools that both of those people would use, even though they're doing something that's different. Yeah, well, uh, for the actors, they are actually like performing the this, whatever story is happening, whereas right. for writers, it's... Uh, your reader's brains doing that legwork for right. for you. Right. I think it's a, an interpretation yeah. that, that occurs with an actor versus, but it seems like some of the things as far as building background where it doesn't exist and, and, mm-hmm. and things like that, thinking of those things, they happen independently, I think, but it seems like that they would use similar methods Absolutely. to get to that spot and write, yeah. you know, to write or act effectively. It's true. And, you know, it's definitely like you sort of have to, I'm sure with acting, you have to get more into like a sort of vacuum headspace that you can then fill with whatever you desire for your character. Right. And it's a similar thing for uh, writing. Like if I get super invested into a concept, that concept is the only thing in in my brain pretty much. It's like going and going and going. It doesn't leave much room for else right. much else uh and i feel like actors definitely like go through the same thing mm-hmm. unless they're uh like really crazy at organizing and are doing like two different projects as one at yeah. once but you i can I just can't. turn it on and turn it yeah. off or compartmentalize like, like a that. switch yeah and that's always pretty impressive did you ever want to become an actor or have you I did all... yeah yeah when i was uh when i was a young kid i took some uh theater classes okay and I performed in a couple plays, and I definitely I enjoyed it. Right. But I had a lot of trouble remembering my lines, yeah. and just getting that retention mm-hmm. in there was always a bit of a hurdle. So instead, I uh, I now just write. Okay. I write it all out, so that way I I got nothing to forget. <laughs> you know, and even so, it's like sometimes I'll I'll have you ever written something and then put it away for a couple of weeks, and then you put, pick it back up again, and you go. I don't remember writing this. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, there was a, I was at some point I wrote down like just my immediate surroundings and about my cousin playing his guitar next to me. And then I just said, I am facing North. That was the last line I wrote. And I was like, I don't remember doing this <laughs> at all. I must have been facing North, but that's all I gave myself to try and remember that. Yeah. And it was not enough. I, I also did uh, a play or two, but it was just kind of like I was in with the the thespian crowd for a mm, while and yeah. just kind of like, you know, trying to figure out my place in high school and meeting people and friends of mine who were in the in the play. So I did get a part once, but I played, I don't know if you, Flowers for Algernon. That sounds familiar, yeah, actually. about a mentally 
I guess mentally challenged. I don't know what the the politically correct way to put it is, but um, at the time, retarded is what they would use. Yeah, but now we yeah. can't use that word. It's a big no no. It's a big no no. So you know, a, a mentally challenged person who had gone through some sort of a, a procedure or taking a drug that all of a sudden made them smart mm. and made them really um, like brilliant, and then. Over the course of the story, they start to regress. You know, ah, they, they, yep. you know, it's just a the classic story arc, right? Exactly. But my part was when he was a kid, when Charlie oh. was a kid. So my father would always tease me, going, "Hey, typecasting!" Ow, like, ouch! Thanks, Dad. That was his that funny was his, joke. Yeah, that was uh, his sense of humor. You know, I get that sometimes being mean, but like, man, it's yeah. rough. He would needle and tease, but it was very clear that he wasn't doing it to be mean. It was not meditated being mean. It was just kind of like a thought that popped into his head, and he thought it was funny. And I, you know, mm-hmm. I, I I joke about it being kind of like ooh, but it's it you know it's it really is funny. That kind of transitions to what I think about when I think of tools. I think of my father. I remember him having. Basically a wood shop, essentially, where he would build and, you know, draw and do all sorts of things with his tools. And he had a very meticulous sort of pegboard kind of thing where he would put the tools on his pegboard and they would have their labels. Mm. So he would label and all these, are you familiar with, you know, like, um, what is it? Uh, the P Touch. They've got the ones that automatically does the the prints out the labels for I you. I'm not actually. No, no it's, that sounds... it's called the Brother P Touch, and you can okay. have it automatically do it. But there was the the predecessor to that, which my father used, was this thing where it had a ring with letters on it, and oh. what you would do is you squeeze the letter into this plasticized tape, and it would push the letter in. So it would okay. basically you would have letters on a on a piece of tape and then you put that piece of tape and it was the label it's like a handheld typewriter essentially That's yeah cool. yeah and it, and it used you know basically imprinted the you know whatever the letter was onto the tape and pushed it out so it not only did it push it out it pushed it out as you know the, the plastic bent and when it bent it was a different color because that's just yeah. the way it works. Yeah. When plastic kind of, stretches. Yeah. 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 Cool, so it's cool. kind of an ingenious sort of thing. But Which, anyway, yeah. he used to label all of his tools. <laughs> and I remember going into this shop and seeing all the tools up there. But then also he had his toolbox. And um, we used to, I mean, I think when we were young, we were, you know, we wanted to be like dad. So we got our own toolboxes mm. and we had our own, you know, tools, own set of tools. But do you have a tool toolbox? I actually don't. And yeah. I feel like it's a very uh it's a very like twenty first century young adult thing to not have a toolbox. Oh, yeah? Because there was they they were so important throughout the entirety of the twentieth century. You had to have your toolbox. Right. And right now, like in the way society works and is like usually like I just have like a couple Allen wrenches and two screws that I keep on my desk just in case yeah. I need to screw something in. Yeah. But uh, at the, the same time, the, the IKEA toolbox. Yeah, pretty much. Just whatever I got on hand that right. I had to assemble something with once. And 
that's another thing. Uh, back back in the day, you know, all those days back then, uh, they had to usually procure their own stuff. They had right. to get their own wood yeah. and get it ready to make a cabinet like it. And nowadays, you can just pay two hundred bucks and bam, you have yeah. the wood already set up. You just need to. You know, attach it. I think I think these days tools are more of it's for artistic use, or you know, it, they're more for building and creating things. Whereas they had more, as you said, they had more utility back Absolutely. in the older days. You would need your various tools to do things. Dad just loved to to create and build things absolutely yeah cheyenne my girlfriend uh she introduced me to this book called pillars of the earth okay it's all about builders in the early 1100s okay and that that really opened my my eyes to how how long we've been trying to figure tools out and their their myriad uses the way people had to build back then people would die pretty pretty fairly often doing that job Whereas construction nowadays is like very much safety first, no one gets hurt, but you know, people are just using ropes and counterweights and tiny little uh, mortar and pestles to make the uh, uh, concrete that they used. And it's just, it was a lot messier, but they still got it done. And it was a lot more important to have someone who actually understood how to use the tools that were at hand yeah, and someone who was smart enough to understand angles and mm-hmm. weight and math during an age where that was like basically unheard of. Cause yeah. you had to, you, most of the time, you know, you're foraging in the woods for right. your food and that's it. Yeah, yeah. That, that actually reminds me of a book series that this guy named Eric Sloan, he was um, a landscape painter and illustrator. He had a book called reverence for wood he would illustrate, you know, like what they would use in colonial times to build fences or create landscape and make build a log cabin and mm. all that stuff. So that reminds me of that. It's in from the seventies. These Ooh, these book series, so, very cool. Old yeah. books are great. Yeah, um, those sort of tools always had this level of like you know all just brutality to them. Oh, yeah? usually it was just like. This sanded wood and an iron right. spike. Like, yeah, like, big ro- big rock on a stick. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah, they did have some weight to them too. I do have one other story about tools as it relates to my father, which is uh, we he would love to design things. My father and stepmom were building a house in Indiana, and he had a very specific idea for what he wanted a staircase to be. Mm-hmm. It was a spiral staircase, but it was freestanding, and it didn't have a pole down the middle. That and is wild. Yeah, the weight would transfer into the different like it. It would almost it looked like an octagon almost. Oh, that's and cool. So you would look down the center, and it would be free down the center. But then also there would be portions on the sides in, in the corner, you know, in the stairwell area, so you could look down look down there too nice. so it was just completely freestanding and no pole because the weight transfer in the middle was handled by these very large beams that were connected in a, in a certain sort of 
way that wrapped around four ways. That is just impressive. Yeah, it was yeah, really that is amazing. And you know, he took it to the architect, and the architect said that's not possible. And he says, Yeah, well, yes, it is possible, and uh, I can do it. You just need to sign off on it, essentially. <laughs> so gotta, you know, it's like I know away. I know exactly how to do it. So don't worry about it. And like builders didn't want to touch it or anything. So <sighs> so we had to actually build the staircase, and we helped Dad. We would come over to to uh, where they lived in Chicago, and we referred it. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar with the um, what's that movie? If you build it, they will come. The baseball movie with uh, Kevin Costner. I am unfamiliar with sports oh films. I'm sorry. It's he builds a baseball diamond in the middle of a cornfield, and then hmm. uh, Field of Dreams. That's field what it of was. Dreams. Yeah. All right. Because he hears voices. The voices are from basically the Chicago White Sox. Oh. Um, these whispers that he keeps on hearing. If you build it, they will come. If you build it, they will come. And he builds this baseball diamond, and then these old baseball players come and play baseball and it's just that's the whole movie what a bizarre it's kind of plot it's pretty weird yeah we would joke about calling it the the frank lloyd wright staircase absolutely <laughs> like the ghost of frank lloyd wright is going to come and mm. he's gonna you know if you build it he will come and it he was just kind come. of a joke we helped him build that staircase and it's it's you know pretty impressive yeah so when I think of tools, I think of family stuff. Which is still very good because yeah. I feel like, you know, uh, that's usually where you get introduced to tools as a young child yeah. is usually through a father figure. Yep. And um, artistic I, tools, yeah, too. Artistic tools are usually the best, in my opinion. Yeah. And especially taking on impossible projects to create some like new thing. Right. Because that's, that's what I feel like we're really good at is creating new things and yep. we should continue to do that yep. no more nukes though Come yeah on. let's that's, let's that's not a new thing we should stop that. yeah stop with these tools of destruction oh, no but, but but i mean that's not what the powers that be necessarily yeah, they want they, they, they want to maintain their power there's but, money there's money in it yeah it's that's true. a scary thing yeah my own dad and his tools my dad is a big marine biologist okay he loves sea life and uh does he have a degree in that he does yeah he has a doctorate phd so growing up he tried very much to impart his love of the uh, the mysteries of the ocean and mm -hmm. uh its biology the way he started to introduce that to me was through fishing okay. and so when i was a kid in uh New Jersey, he was studying at Rutgers as a graduate. There's this little river we'd go to, and he'd teach me how to tie the knot, throw the fishing line in, and pull something up, and then toss it back. And it was, uh, it kind of freaked me out throwing a little hook around. I don't know. I just had, kept having this image of it going through my cheek or face or something. Right. And, oh, it scared and, me. And now you have piercings. And now Look I have piercings. So I, I'm pretty <laughs> sure I can handle fishing now. I'm like, I'm not afraid of no hook. Yeah. I can deal with that. A little while later, we moved back to Oregon. And then uh, my dad went on this like big boating trip and came back with some like impressively large fish right like and, a, an ocean trip an yeah. Ocean? yeah yeah and uh partially for study he came back with these massive fish and he showed me how to uh cut them up to eat and we had grilled fish that night but yeah. it was also i was like 
pretty young and very much like, ooh, nasty. Right. Kind right. of fish is gross. Yeah. They stink. I don't like the smell of fish. But you got to use the right tools for but, that, too. Yep. And he Not taught only, me all about the right ones. Yeah. And there's also tools for fishing, too, like a tackle box. You've got yeah. your tackle box. You always I've, had a tackle box. Yep. We also had our own tackle boxes when we were younger, mm-hmm. where we would go uh, fishing at one of these. We started fishing when we were pretty young, but it was one of these uh, man-made lakes. Oh, like a, like a quarry lake sort of deal or no, something? No, no, it was actually, it was really, it was a weird franchise kind of idea where mm. you would build a lake and then you would fill it with fish. And then people would go there and they catch the fish and you would charge them for catching the fish that they caught on your property, but then you'd have fish. Yeah, you'd <laughs> so have it was, plenty of them. It was basically going to a store to buy fish, but part of that whole process was you going and into actually, the lake and actually fishing, and they had like a little all right. a little uh, place where you would, you know, the bait shop, and then you would get the bait, and mm. you would do this. So it was... It was a really, it wasn't like man-made lake in nature, right? You would go out to the man-made lake and go fishing or whatever because fish were there. It was a stocked lake, and if you didn't want to fish or you weren't successful fishing, you could go buy the fish. (laughs) Kind of making the fish in the moot point, but still, you know, it was part of the experience. Yeah, it was part of the experience. So it was just like a weird going fishing, but you're really not going fishing. It's the dream of fishing. Yeah. That's yeah. bizarre, but it but was pretty cool. It, yeah, it was one of those things where it was it was just a thing at the time in the seventies that was yeah. kind of an interesting idea. Is just stock the lake full of fish and you charge them for you know when they catch the fish. And it kind of takes away from the from the mystery of like yeah. just throwing your line and being like, ah, let's see what bites. Yeah, sometimes you would go to the lake and there'd be none of the fish were biting, but exactly. you didn't know why. It was like it was a it was a unique problem that you could now try to solve, right? Or accept fate and <laughs> just go like, back home. We did some lake fishing trips on on Lake Michigan and stuff like that, but yeah, fresh fish is nothing like fresh fish. Nothing, nothing at all. Yeah. I guess we can collectively go into another memory involving the word tool. You were wearing a jacket. I was. And it's a jacket or is it a... It's a it is a jacket and a vest. Okay. Okay. So it's a jackest. Jackest. Yes. It's that's jackist. exactly what it is. It's my you know, favorite if, jackets. If there was a, a job where I would just, for pay, combine two words into a new word, oh, you'd make I think it. I would excel at that job. I think you would, too. Yeah. I absolutely agree. The jackest. The jackest. It does work. Yeah, I think it works. Mm-hmm. Um, but your jackest <laughs> had um, had a, a patch on it. Sure does. The band Tool. Mm-hmm. When did you first hear that band? So the first time I heard Tool, uh, the first song I heard by them was The Pot. And okay. Me and which uh, album was that off? It was one of their earlier ones, I think maybe Ten Thousand Days. Okay. So me and my cousin at the time were getting very much into marijuana. So he put that song on and was like, "Hey, let's smoke a bowl and listen to the song because you know it's the pot." Ha <laughs> ha! Get it? Right. And uh, so I listened to it and I was like, "Wow, this is uh, this is pretty different." Yeah. Because at the time I was mostly listening to like whatever was on the pop station on on the radio okay and so or and i was like just starting to get into like the the sort of uh rock scene of 2007 okay and so once i heard it i was like this is like 
meaty. This is sludgy yeah. and rough and yeah. loud and dark. And ever since then, I slowly started exploring more of their music. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I sort of drifted away from that scene for a while. And now uh, with at around like 2016, I was like, I rediscovered my love for heavy metal. Yeah. And uh, then I started listening to Tool again. And I was like, okay. I came into it with more knowledge, especially on their uh, their artist for the yeah. album, Alex Gray. Right, right. That guy is an amazing artist and very much steeped in psychedelia. Even back to their stop motion videos that yeah. they have a lot of stop motion, um, they do mention that in the research that I was doing that they created primarily by this um, Ab- Adam Jones and often collaboration uh, with one of the Alex Gray, yeah. Chet Czar, and I don't even know how to pronounce this name, but Osseus. Osseus. Osseus LeBarrant? 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 Is that how you, are it might, you? It sounds French. Yeah. So I'm just L A D Y R I N T. LeBarrant. LeBarrant, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, that that was like the stop motion stuff and a lot of the, and I'm guessing Alex Gray was involved with a lot of the weird kind of album designs, right? Yeah, a lot of and eyes. conceptual, yeah, a lot of phallic sort of things too. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of the, a lot of the stuff reminds me of kind of uh, Geiger-esque. Yeah, yeah. I, I love just, his stuff. Yeah, it, it just, it's sort of a different, more colorful Geiger, Absolutely, right? much more colorful, less... Yeah. Uh, sort of just goopy right right not not just metallic and and very sterile but mm-hmm. um but yeah if if geiger discovered a color wheel <laughs> <laughs> it would be alex yeah, Gray. Would, yeah, yeah, it would be alex that's Gray. what we get the band tool american rock band from los angeles mm-hmm. formed in 1990 i wouldn't call myself a fan of the band tool but the first album that they came out with hit me at a time where it was just the right the right time for me to really love that the, the, that album it's so under nice yeah. yeah undertow was the one that anything that came out beyond undertow was just kind of like eh. not your but, favorite yeah but but uh sober was a big song oh, when i was yeah. in college that i played a lot and then prison sex was also a fabulous song absolutely um but then when they started getting more experimental that's kind of when they lost me and their their albums after after um, undertow but undertow just hit at a time where it was like okay i'm really big fan that's that's what i love is when you discover like an album or a sound that is just like yes this is what i need right now Uh this is how i want to experience through this lens or just remember. Or right? just remember, yeah. yeah it takes it, it'll you back take to you a day. Back. Yeah. Absolutely. The lineup. Uh, vocalist Maynard James Keenan. Adam Jones, guitarist. Uh, Danny Carey, the drummer. And the original bassist was Paul DeMore. But uh, he was replaced probably the 1995. That was like the second album, right? Yeah. Uh, by Justin Chancellor. They have won four Grammys. Ooh, look at that. Yeah. Way to go. One of which was actually in 2020 for Tempest. Wow. Yeah. That's kind of impressive. Yeah. I did not realize that they won a Grammy recently. Yeah. Well, Tempest is like a 17 friggin' minute song or oh, something crazy. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I started listening to it, but then I couldn't finish it because <laughs> yeah. I was like, man, I got other stuff to do. Right. <laughs> I can't just like 
sit down and listen to this. That's that's the thing too. This is probably the subject of a debate, but it's like with movies with me. Anything over two hours, I don't want to sit through. Generally, there are exceptions, but in general, I want my movies to be two hours or less. Period. End of sentence. And that's kind of like with songs, right? Mm-hmm. I don't like a lot of repetition and things like that. I do have an appreciation for Rush, and Rush definitely had a lot of really long, crazy I, songs. I thought you'd like Rush. You, you're a Rush man. Twenty one twelve. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Rush to me is like Star Wars is to me. I'm, okay. a, I, I am a fan, but I'm not a fan. Right, I'm not an extreme I fan. Totally, I, I I appreciate it for what it is. Uh, yeah, um, Star Wars. When I was younger, favorite movie, right? Absolutely, and you know had all the toys and all that stuff. But am I still a fan of Star Wars? No, I'm I'm, I'm a fan of that Star Wars. Absolutely, and that's the same with Rush. Rush, the early '70s stuff and the '80s stuff, and Permanent Waves, and and all the all the stuff that I heard back then. Mm-hmm. That stuff I remember fondly. And actually, you know, they, they came out with some some newer stuff, you know, like in the 90s and in mm. the 2000s that was okay. Just okay. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, yeah, I, as far as being a Rush guy, if you're going to label me as a guy, I would say I'm more of a Genesis guy. Okay. Genesis is one of these progressive sort of rock experimental sort of things that mm. came out of – London that incorporated a lot of art in their theatrical. It was very theatrical back in the 70s when they were created. And Phil Collins and Peter Gabriel, um, you know, Phil Collins was the drummer, always the drummer. Really? And then, uh, yeah, at the time he was, he was, he still is, you know, the drummer. Gotcha. I I see. I'm more familiar with Phil Collins on his like solo. As a singer. Yeah. Right. And that's the thing too. It's like a lot of people are, you know, he, he didn't want to sing initially. And um, Peter Gabriel was the original singer. And then he left the group in 74, I believe. And then that's when they basically said, you know, um, when The Lamb Lies Down on Broadway came out, that was, you know, Phil Collins did some singing there, but it was still mostly Peter Gabriel doing the doing the songs. Gotcha. And then then from that point forward, it was all it was all Phil Collins singing, singing okay. and drumming at the same time, which is pretty friggin' impressive. I I only know of one other band that does that. Yeah, it's a, a band called Lightning Bolt. Okay, and they do very loud stuff. Yeah, and it's I like it. With Genesis, they were very. I don't want to say ahead of their time, but it just felt like they were always kind of innovating and, and they had a lot of keyboards in there mm-hmm. um tony banks was the keyboardist mike rutherford was the other member so there were three members like throughout the 80s when they you know they broke up they initially had five members don't ask me who steve hackett why the hell do i remember that guy's name <laughs> anyway there was a there was a guitarist who was in gotcha. there who left and then but anyway um genesis is kind of more of a if you think of Rush, think of what Rush is or was back in the 70s, late 70s, and then something like Genesis and Yes and bands like those that are mm-hmm. very long and theatrical sounding, you know, yeah. songs. And to some extent, Sticks. Sticks was kind of like one of those sort of, tried, you know, they tried to get into the whole 
Into that uh, zeitgeist. Yeah, yeah, the theatrical sort of nature of, of music. But something like Tool, it just doesn't connect with me like it does, like it did before. It doesn't have um, that staying power. Yeah. And that's okay, yeah. Yeah, and it's just not me. It may be the way my, my taste has matured, but I still... You know, I can listen to Prison Sex all night. And it's a horrible song. I mean, oh, yeah. The lyrics are fucking awful. <laughs> it's dark. It's about child abuse, right? Mm-hmm. And stuff. And it's just like, ugh. It's, but it's, it's heavy. A, it's a great song, though. Yeah. Lyrically, very heavy. But I would say, as far as my musical toolbox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mostly keyboards. keyboards. Those, anything with keyboards uh, or electronic stuff in general I generally like that kind of stuff more than than your traditional guitars. Absolutely, but, but I mean there there are exceptions to the rule. Yeah, right? the Clash I, being one of them. Oh, the Clash is great. Listen, I could talk about music all day, but let's get back music to tools. Is great. Yeah, tools. <laughs> so, have you seen Tool in concert? Sadly, no. No, I have not. That seems like it would, could be an interesting show. I agree. Uh, I saw something on the internet about uh, making fun of the way Tool fans dance. Uh, and uh so, okay yeah what is it that it's they like they sway they sway and back and forth oh and is that they like they do like this weird trance thing is it like shoegazing like they got shoegaze yeah. music and people are shitting all over that music They're, from the 90s which because is ridiculous because they they dance the same right yeah. right i don't agree with calling it shoegaze music it's just called it you know Put it in the bucket it is it was in, which it's alternative, right? Absolutely. It was alternative from back yeah. in the 90s. It's 90s alternative. It's not freaking shoegazing. You know, I don't care if it's bloody val- my bloody Valentine or whoever it is, um, Lush or whoever, but it's just it's just 90s music. It's just 90s music, um, and people just want to keep that train going. Right. I think one of the coolest things about shoegaze that I learned about was the reason they started calling it shoegaze music was hmm. because there was, in London, this guy wrote an article about one of, I, I'm not sure if it was My Bloody Valentine, but it was, it he coined the phrase shoegaze because oh. he was saying something to the effect of that it was boring and it was just a bunch of angsty teenagers just looking at their shoes. Then what happened, that's what it became because of this guy who's the author who wrote this piece trying to put down the music and they go, Oh yeah, okay, let's we'll just so that's what they call it. That's what it sounds like. Yeah. Because if you're gonna if you're gonna be a jerk, we're just gonna use your own thing. (laughs) Absolutely. I like that though. It's a good uh it's kind of an interesting post. Yeah, exactly. It's like uh we're taking it back. I was gonna bring up uh uh, I have two games in mind about uh, tools okay. and how they're utilized. All right. The first one is a game that I've been very much into recently uh, called Bloodborne. Oh, which okay. Which is a uh, From Software title. Right. Guys behind Dark Souls. Right. And, and uh, which is which is a curse word in my household. Oh, it is. No, Uh-oh. no. I just it's just not the type of game for me that's which all. is fair yeah. it absolutely it's uh i've i've tried to get some of my friends to play those games and uh they just they don't like it yeah um, the closest i've come to is code vein i don't know if you played code i vein. have played code vein okay. i enjoyed code vein i still haven't beat it and some of its mechanics are a little beyond me but oh yeah and it's, it's still a good it's, game yeah it's kind of complex too in the way that you're doing things and, and yeah. identifying the patterns of all these things i did buy it when it was on sale 
Um, and actually, when I went to PAX two years ago, I played a demo of it uh, before it, before it even came out, which nice. was kind of cool. Yeah, that is cool. It's a game that I put in that Dark Souls category. It's 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 like you know people call it uh, uh, people call things they've got um, what roguelike, right? Yeah, <laughs> they, they kind of put a game, a previous game title on it and like, then that's just and that's what genre. it's called from right from that point forward souls like to me it's just a game that's really tough and unforgiving it is and what what i always enjoyed about those games is that uh it's lore friendly uh-huh. that it's dark and dreary and tough right. and that sort of inclusion i've always really enjoyed mm-hmm um, but the thing about tools and Bloodborne, Bloodborne is the importance of their, uh, how they sort of view their weaponry. Okay. Uh, all weapons in that game have two different forms and that usually means you can, uh, either like for one of my characters right now, the weapon I'm using is a long sword okay. that I then stick into my sheath, which is a massive block of stone. Okay. So I have the this nice close range little fast long sword and then bam transforms into a massive hammer. Okay. And so that kind of sounds like Monster Hunter, like some it, of the Monster it, it Hunter is. world it, stuff. Yeah. Uh, when you like got the guns, that's the gun that's also uh, um, a spear. Yeah. There was a there was a weapon in Monster Hunter that was like the trick axe, and uh-huh. that's that was almost straight from Bloodborne because okay. it's got that two formed sort of thing, yeah, and then yeah, you yeah. can. Uh, alternate between the two right and uh they did a really good job of making each weapon each trick weapon really unique and they uh all serve different purposes depending on which enemies you're fighting Mm -hmm. and some are good for crowd control some are better for just focusing on a giant 30 foot tall cthulhu beast right um, and that honestly, that's another reason why I love Bloodborne is Lovecraft. Th- oh, okay, yeah. just pure Lovecraftian cosmic horror. Yeah, and uh, it's really oh, I love it. Yeah, but uh, the weapons are incredibly important tools, and they yeah, will see, help you succeed. That that is what I, actually I wanted to bring. That's kind of funny that you brought that up because one of the things is what makes something a weapon in a game, and what makes it a tool. They're two different things, really. Yeah, but they're kind of the they're line kind of is not. thin. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a it's a very gray line. Um, if you're you've got to use like you know certain weaknesses, right? There are certain yeah. characters that have weaknesses against certain things, and then you have to figure out how to effectively use that weapon, which is sort of like a tool, but it's just still a weapon. The yeah. whole. The whole purpose of a weapon is to tool to kill things. Yes, <laughs> right? that that is the definition, probably. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's so that's the the when you think of tools in video games, you think Dark Souls. Yeah, and uh, or Bloodborne. Bloodborne, Dark Souls, also very thin line. Yeah. Um, the other uh, game I wanted to talk about was Death Stranding. Okay. And that one definitely has a lot more emphasis on actual tools, not as deadly weapons. Um, right. There is this, uh, this little thing called an Otradeck and the Otradeck is this little mechanical arm that will spring up after you press like the right bumper Mm -hmm. and it will scan the environment around you. Right. And that is incredibly helpful in that game where you just have to, uh, you know, maneuver 
or along a a rough environment uh, carrying a bunch of packages that you really don't want to damage. Right, right. Um, And it also will help you see the enemies in that game, which are the invisible BTs. Right. Very spooky ghosts. Yeah. Um, Where does the fetus in a jar come in? Is that that a tool? It is, actually. It's called a bridge baby. And it also, it heightens uh, Sam Porter's senses. So in that way, for most people in that world, the BTs are all invisible. But if Sam, like, crouches down and holds his breath for a while the bb will let him actually sort of see these wispy smoky things that yeah they're that their physical forms actually are right so uh and that's the thing where they use the where he uses the pulse to yeah. navigate around those things mm-hmm. see i i never um part of <laughs> Hideo Kojima. He's a character. <laughs> He's a character. Oh, yeah. Um, his games, also characters, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I did play some of the um, Metal Gear stuff and thought it was cool. Um, actually, Revengeance uh, Rising, whatever that one was. That one, I have a yearning to play. Okay. That katana sword plays just looks so much fun. Oh, yeah. Um, and as far as Dark Soulsy sort of things, that's probably about as there's a really ridiculous boss fight with a with a senator, <laughs> with a yeah. with a juiced up senator. Basically, it's senator on steroids. But it's it's so dumb. But it but was so like much the fun. story. Yeah, the story was great. I liked it. To to me, something like a Dark Souls or a Bloodborne, if I'm going to play it and enjoy it, it has to have a friggin' solid story. Yeah, and. It doesn't. It can't just be weird and weird game dynamics. To me, mm-hmm. the reason I haven't played um, Death Stranding at all is just because it seems like the game dynamics for me a lot. Of, it has, it's a conceptual game. That's what Hideo Kojima does. He does mm-hmm. conceptual. He tries yeah. stuff, and that's cool. But the whole package delivery thing, you know, there's some neat ideas, but it just doesn't seem like it's something that I would enjoy. If you were going to sell me on that game, how would you sell that to me? For me, I, I all right. Uh, so this game has some of the most unique styles of and uh, uh, ways to use things in that game, right. and it uh, you, the multiplayer in it. Yeah. is one of the most unique things I've ever seen. It uh, Did they add that afterwards, or no, was that, that always was, in it? that was always in it. Are it you was, talking about the things where you can mark the spots on the map? Not just that. You can build, uh, Other players will build timefall shelters, things okay. to keep you out of the rain. They'll build right. roads. They'll By the way, if you, don't, if you don't know the story, rain is bad. Rain is bad. Rain is, you do not want to be caught in it. It is terrible. Yeah. Um, so they can build you shelters for that. You can build safe houses and through that you can connect with these other players. And, uh, the more connections you make with these players, the more of their items will spawn into your, uh, version of the world. Yeah. Um, and also, uh, I personally found a lot of joy in the, it's not so much the, the actual hiking that is the engaging part. It's that, uh, it's the trekking out into the unknown. Okay. Because everyone else in this world is hiding in a bunker. Right. Which w- felt very analogous to, uh, you know, our current state of days. And so having this freedom to 
maneuver around this beautiful world, uh, trying to reconnect with people and mm-hmm. other players simultaneously felt like a very unique and engaging experience. Okay. Um, and yeah, it's definitely, uh, I, I, it's not for everyone. No. Absolutely. It's no. very, uh, very slow and there's a lot of people with super confusing names and the thing that confused me was and this is going to be beyond you because you're a little you're you're a little bit younger than i am Mm. but lindsey wagner lindsey wagner lindsey wagner is the actress that plays the president yeah Yeah. okay yeah and she appears the way lindsey wagner at one point in the game appears back in the 70s she played a character the bionic woman. Okay. There was a bionic. <laughs> so Lindsay Wagner was, it was an interesting casting choice, Lindsay yeah. Wagner. And Hideo Kojima, he he basically, that's who he wanted to play the president. He yeah. wanted Lindsay Wagner. He would take, wouldn't take no for an answer. And she was like, what is this? <laughs> like, right? why? Because, what, what's, right. The, what's the fixation there? Yeah. Lindsay Wagner, 72 years old. So so when the game wow. came out, she's, you know, 70-year-old act, yeah. actress. Anyway, and she was in a number of other movies and, and things like that, but nothing nothing groundbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, the Paper Chase, she was in that Indeed. in 73. She was like in a lot of different television roles as an actress. But... Death Stranding in 2019, her voice and likeness, which was really bizarre when I saw the trailer for that. And I was like, is that Lindsay Wagner? Because it looks like Lindsay Wagner yeah. and it sounds like Lindsay Wagner. It's, and then Norman Reedus. Yeah. Him and Kojima, I I, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the, the PT fiasco. No. Oh. What is that? So uh, I want to say... It probably was around like 2016 or 2015 or so. Uh, Kojima, Junji Ito, Guillermo del Toro, and Norman Reedus were all working with Konami to do a new Silent Hill game. Okay. And uh, I got very, very excited about that because I love Silent Hill. That is, to me, one of the best uh, interpretations. Guillermo's likeness is in Death Stranding, but not his voice, right? uh, No. Pretty sure it's still his voice. Okay, I think. I thought that was like the big hullabaloo. <laughs> yes, indeed, a hullabaloo. Hullabaloo was the fact that it was his likeness, but not his voice. I mean, it'd be a weird caveat, but uh, you know, mm. it, it, it might not be him. They they were all going to work on a new Silent Hill game, and right. they released a the this thing called PT, which was a playable trailer. And it had a bunch of little Easter eggs that you had to do, and uh, uh, in order to beat the player b- playable trailer, because all it was was you walking through this uh, endlessly repeating hallway that would change every once in a while, and there was this horrifying ghost that was stalking you the whole time, and uh, the goal was to just get out of the hallway. Okay. And so it had this uh, really cool reality sort of bending type thing going on, and uh, their atmosphere and sound design was glorious. Right. And then uh, Kojima and Konami had a big falling out. I am not sure what instigated it, but he was like, all right, fuck this. I'm done with you. And so he went off to create his own production company and then made Death Stranding. Kojima Productions. Yeah. yeah. And then he, but he, but he pretty much took everyone else he was 
going to work with except uh, for Junji Ito, which I was kind of bummed out. I, I don't know if you're familiar with Junji Ito. Who is he specifically? He, he is a uh, a horror mangaka. Gotcha. And, gotcha. Uh, so he's, I knew it, was, it sounded familiar, but... Yeah, he did uh, Uzumaki, which okay. is a wonderful horror graphic novel. Okay. All about spirals. Very spooky. So yeah, they, they pretty much just dropped off uh, with Konami and came out with Death Stranding. Gotcha. And I forgot where I was going with PT, but PT was cool. And they also delisted it, just like uh, Cyberpunk. Oh, okay. After was that was, just because it wasn't going to become? It wasn't it was gonna... become going to become a thing. But even unto itself, it was still like a really unique game. Right. It was like, and it you could get stuck on it forever trying to figure it all out. I had yeah. to search the internet, and then at one point, you have to like get your microphone, plug it into the controller, and say like these specific words into it and then unplug it. And then a door would unlock. It was crazily uh, complicated. Yeah. And uh, well, I mean, something that's the thing too. It's like, what, what's the, what's the point putting stuff in there just because it's, I I don't know. I, there's going to be a balance. It's an art and artist thing. Hideo Kojima, I'm interested in seeing what he comes up with, but yeah, it's just death stranding does not sound like my game at all. Mm Mm-hmm. I think to fully understand, you just have to be Hideo Kojima, which, as far as like writing a story goes, kind of sucks. Yeah. Because you know there is that uh, there is the idea that you you know should leave some stuff hidden and encased in mystery, but at the end of the day, if you really want to tell a story, just tell the fucking story. Yeah. Don't, don't give this huge, long meandering thing and just, well, see, isn't that, but isn't that death stranding? <laughs> yes, it is. And for, so, so, so able, you, but did you enjoy the game? Was I did. It a game that, okay. So yeah. it was a game that you, do you recommend it to people or is it something that you're like, it's not for everyone. I, it's definitely not for everyone. I think if like, you have to go seek it out. I can't tell people to be like, yep, yeah, that's it. Yeah, right. It has to be, you know, the right thing at the right time, yeah. just like uh, Undertow. Right, right, Undertow. exactly. Yeah. That's what it was for me. That's an mm-hmm. interesting, yeah. And I, I found it at the right time because I had, like, started to play it uh, years ago when it, like, first came out because I was like, ah, this will, it's not Silent Hills, but it's something. And then I played it for a while, didn't get hooked. And then uh, pretty recently I actually finished and beat it and i was like okay i had a lot greater experience playing it now than i did uh when it first came out yeah and i don't know if that's just because i've gotten older or with the advent of covid and how that altered my perceptions but uh yeah, no, it's uh, it's not for everyone, and if you really and it does sound, it does sound it, like it was the right game for the right time, though. It right? was, yeah. But as far as replay value, I don't think I'm gonna replay it. Yeah, yeah that's uh, that is a that is just like a, it's a long journey that had to happen when it happens. Can't redo that. The Death Stranding Special Edition. Did you see that? I did, and there's a director's cut out now. But I, you know what? I, I bought it once. I'm yeah. not gonna buy it twice. Because the because the special edition that had the 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 breach baby in it, oh, it had a breach baby. Yeah, oh, it was pretty what? ridiculous. Oh. Like that was one of the first ones that you it, like. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to pull it up right now, but it was like the you know the super deluxe one that it's you get with of, all the extra yeah, weirdness, like Fallout giving out pit boys. Exactly, exactly. 
which is another excellent tool. It is. I would honestly love to have a Pip-Boy. Uh, I know that uh, having a computer that fits into my pocket is very handy, but a wrist-mounted green LED with that beautiful little <laughs> mascot boy on it, ah, yeah. I'd enjoy it. And it's a little, it's a little too early for you, but it reminds me of the uh, reminds me of the old TSR eighty computers from back in the day that had that kind of monochromish green yeah. looking it's look a, to it. It's a um, bit of a IBM, sort yeah, of thing. yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, okay. Uh, let's see that. Oh, scale model breach, baby. Yep. I like it. That's yep. pretty cool. Now, if you got one of those scale model breach babies and it had an animatronic thing, and oh, you didn't tell oh. people about the animatronic. <laughs> <laughs> I'd, put I'd, it, I'd put it in my freezer and that wait would for be, someone to get ice. That would be pretty hilarious. And then like one eye blinks or something. And it's, it's like, like oh, no, that'd be Holy horrifying. Crap. No, thank you. Just the idea of the breach baby being called a breach baby, too. I know. It's, it's sinister, it's like, almost. Eh. Not to get back into the weirdness that is the, Hideo that, Kojima's that Death Stranding. vexing confusion, but so good. Ridiculous, like, here's a ladder. Here's a ladder. I love ladders in that game. They are okay. so helpful. All right. Oh, my God. All right. Another tool. Another tool. It just seems like a ridiculous... I'm unfair. I'm going to admit this. When it comes to something, some sort of dynamics in a game that rub me the wrong way, I will not play that game, even though I probably should. And one of those things is the mechanic that is in the Assassin's Creed game early mm. on, where you have to gently push people aside. That rubbed me the wrong way so much that I will probably never play an Assassin's Creed game. I don't blame and, you. And that is to my that is to my detriment, right? Because that's mm. a it's a good series. It is. Um, but Especially just that Assassin's dynamic. Creed too. Oh, Every time I think of Assassin's Creed, I think of that silly like having to brush people away. Yeah, I mean, it was just. I don't know. It just it just didn't make any sense. And that's what I think of when I think of the ladders. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, a ladder. I, I have to get a ladder. Yeah. I hear you. But, um, yeah, but I, let me just say, I know I'm being unfair. <laughs> and maybe maybe if it's on sale, I'll I'll try I'll check out uh, at least yeah, uh, I'll check it out. But it just doesn't it just doesn't seem like my kind of game. Especially seeing as how I like story. Yeah. And and, and something if you are just kind of, you're supposed to meander and, and establish connections with other players sort of um, haphazardly or randomly or, mm-hmm. or whatever, um, that's not the game for me. You I, want, I know you that. want that story. I do want, a, yeah, I want a beginning, middle, and end or something where the game mechanics are so amazing and fun it, but it sounds yeah, like can, it's yeah. got it doesn't have either of those things. No, not really. It's mostly just uh, it's it's a hiking simulator at okay. certain points. Like, right. how do I get around this massive mountain without taking a super bad tumble? Right, right. Because uh, if you fall like two feet, you die or something <laughs> weird. It's like actually that. it's not that bad, but uh, three you know, feet, three sorry. feet, three yeah, feet. a course. meter, a meter, full meter. As far as like other tools go, uh, that. It can be really fun. Uh, grappling hooks. Oh man, I love the grappling, grappling hooks. hooks. Yeah, the grappling hooks in in games. I hear that 
you've got a pretty cool one that's coming up in Halo. People yeah. say that the grappling hook in that is pretty bomb. I want to I want to mess around with the physics on that. Yeah, because you have to have good physics for a good uh, good, good grappling hook. Good grappling hook. When you bring up the grappling hook, uh, one of the first games that I think of is Bionic Commando, which was this game mm. that was on uh, the NES, and Ooh, you had this. Yeah, and you had to you had kind of a a grappling hook as an arm kind of thing. Mm. Oh, nice. And you would swing across, you know, chasms with uh, with your grappling hook arm. There you go. But yeah, very useful tool. Very useful tool. Yeah. What other games are you thinking of that use the grappling hook? They're uh, Uncharted. Okay. The, the newest Uncharted comes yeah. to my mind. That was, uh, they made that pretty fun. Um, Far Cry 4, I oh, thought, made yeah. a, some good use of that grappling hook. I heard a rumor. Hmm. That you really loved Far Cry 3. I did. The whole theme of going into the jungle and having it change you into a kind of monstrous thing yeah. really resonated with me. Like one of my favorite levels is the the one with the Skrillex song playing as you're burning oh, yeah, down the weed field. Yeah, <laughs> I, I played that one recently and it, oh, oh it's so much fun. That is that's I mean something about just the the they just nailed that that mission for they me. Did it was it was just a fun mission. But mm-hmm. yeah, I remember the last one I played was was Far Cry Three. I didn't play any of the other ones since I, then. I I would definitely say Far oh, Cry. Wait, you know what? I did play four. The yeah, and uh, that was the one with the elephant. Yes, yeah, a, lot, a can, whole lot of elephant riding in there. Yeah, yeah, where you can just have the elephant charge in for you sometimes. And just throw people aside. Yep. It's, a, it, it's solid. Yeah. Um, the one the one Far Cry I, you know, uh, was not my favorite, but I still, like, respect because uh, was Far Cry 5. Yeah. I just felt that, you know, go pl- putting a Far Cry game in America w- was sort of defeating the the purpose of it being far cry mm-hmm. i want uh, exotic locales from from a far cry game right. i want a place i am not gonna see probably uh but i'm pretty sure i can go to montana and go look at those alpine trees any day right right um and there was also sort of a, it was kind of but but i mean the whole thing about being in montana it was a it was a cult sort of yeah. thing, right? And I do enjoy taking the fight to cults because the the the, the way that they just work and the the brain manipulation and right. brainwashing right. is quite sickening to yeah. me. Yeah, you can have cults anywhere. So if yeah, it's the exotic true. location that isn't in the United States. I also felt that they were trying to capitalize on the sort of cult thing going on, especially oh, yeah. around Trump. Oh and, yeah. Uh, the cult of the the KKK yeah. white supremacy type stuff. Yeah, I didn't I didn't even think about that, but but that's a good point. Yeah, um, you have any thoughts on uh, six? Like, are you going to be playing it? Or? Uh once maybe once I get that PS five. Okay, I don't right. know, but you know, I did like that they're going somewhere exotic. Yeah, gotta respect that. Yeah, with the Far Cry games, the story is it's okay. Yeah, but it's mostly just the fun the the fun of doing the stuff right exactly um and hopefully not getting attacked by a friggin eagle every five seconds oh that Jesus that does Christ. suck f- about four it's just like you'll be walking and then just look up You're like eagle it's oh, no it sucks you can't even melee them and they're uh, hard to shoot so Ugh. is my head made of meat i think it is i, I think, think it's, it is <laughs> it's very meaty it's a meaty head it looks like prey oh my goodness yeah just uh i've never been attacked by an eagle but 
I, I, you know what? Well, it used to be, but before that, it was those uh, bobcats. Bobcats. The freaking oh, bobcats, bobcats would always attack you all the time. Yeah. I mean, you'd be like walking down the street, and then all of a sudden, this freaking bobcat just, just <laughs> right there. I'm a little bit terrified of big cats. Oh, I'm not yeah. gonna lie. I think uh, I think if I saw one, especially like a mountain lion, mountain okay. lions kind of terrify me. Yeah, you got some up. Uh, yeah, up, up, in the uh, mountain up, there. Uh, up on Mount Lemon. Yeah, and uh, that's why I, you know I really love going up to high elevations at night and gazing upon cities because it's always so sweeping and gorgeous. But uh, there's definitely mountain lions up yeah. there, and that yeah. anything and that. Bobcats. And that's the issue with a lot of the animal kingdom is that they're a lot faster than I am. Yeah. And that's that's where I draw the line of yeah. fear is like if I can outrun you, I'm not going to be too scared. But if I can't, then I'm terrified. Right, right. I think one of the most iconic tools is the one in – is the Omna tool in Mass Effect just because of the yeah. way it was sort of a – just the way it looked. It's kind of like the Pip-Boy, but it's a more... Just of hologram. Yeah, it's yeah. a holographic Pip-Boy of sorts. And then you, you kind of change into the um, the Omni Blade in 3 yeah. or whatever. I thought that was a good idea, but it, now that you mention it, it's sort of you know like in the same Pip-Boy area. Yeah. It's just Pip-Boy is more of an analog presentation. Absolutely. Um, but that was also you know useful for things like hacking. Oh, and, yeah. I I uh, I very recently uh, have been playing Mass Effect, and uh, the I, remasters. Yeah. Okay. Because I never I never played them at all when okay. I was growing up. So yeah. I'm like, all right, I'll just take this fresh experience. Right. What are you um, thinking? I love it. Mm-hmm. I love the way uh, the 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 sort of power fantasy you have as being a commander. Right. And. Uh, and uh, as far as gameplay goes, it's very satisfying, especially using party dynamics, because yeah. I think they did a great job on that. And your thoughts are thumbs up. How far thumbs are you up. into it? I am in Mass Effect 3 right now, okay. working my way kind of slowly through it, but it's the, it's the, it's the last draw before I uh, get real deep into Andromeda. Okay. Uh, so so uh, you're going to play Andromeda? I am. Okay. I have actually started a character, and it's going to be my first biotic run. Okay. And biotics okay. are very cool. I have never played Andromeda. So would you say, if someone hasn't has, has played and enjoyed the first three, would you recommend them playing Andromeda? Or would you recommend they stay away from it? I personally would say that it's a bit of a hard sell because it plays so very differently than mass effect i mean you've got your usual like bumper powers but um you don't like you don't bring up a weapon wheel time doesn't pause as often when you change weapons um but in terms of like graphical quality and animation they excel at that okay uh that's since since they added the the improvements because i yeah when when it first came out there were some problems with that off about that (laughs) one um but you know what they uh playing a biotic in that game is incredibly satisfying yeah Um, that's i always went for the biotics whenever i when i played my my first runs see for me powers i i went uh i went infiltrator yeah i I like uh staying hiding in cover going invisible and sniping yeah but uh yeah i really really like mass effect okay as a series and the, and the story is is good i am uh going full renegade okay and very it's, cool uh, it's very satisfying oh nice so the iconic use of the omni tool 
misusing tools. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I've got a couple of examples here for wrapping up the show as far as using tools and misusing tools. Are you familiar with the arcade game Dig Dug? Heard the name. Yeah. Have not played it. Basically, you're this dude who digs through. (laughs) You're digging Mm -hmm. into the ground, and you've got to get certain things and destroy certain enemies. And what they give you is a bicycle pump (laughs) to pump up the enemies. So you got no bicycle in there. You just got to throw this thing out and then use the pump and explode your enemies. That is bizarre. Yeah. It's don't don't think of it as a as a current generation game yeah. because that would be really weird. It'd be tough. But as far as, you know, uh Pac-Man era, that's what we're mm. talking about with this dig dug. Gotcha. But it just seems like a weird tool. Absolutely. Tool slash weapon. I also have uh I got one for you, uh Scorpion from Mortal Kombat. Yeah. His uh get over here chain spear yeah that's a that's that's a that's a shovel pretty much it's a they used to used to use it for digging stuff up in oh, Japan. Wow. yeah so you know he's misusing the crap out of that he is yeah. not digging into dirt he's digging into the flesh of his enemies <laughs> <laughs> yeah i was also telling you earlier about how i was playing sakuna of rice and ruin mm-hmm. this um interesting combination of a rice farming simulator and a 2d side-scrolling platformer action kind of game indeed and one of the things that you're using you're using farming tools (laughs) so it's like well you're using farming tools as weapons and farming tools but that's kind of you're misusing misusing them yeah they're not actually weapons they're just they're supposed to be tools come on well, and there's also you got a fan too, which I don't know what you're going to do with someone with a fan, but blow them away, yeah. Legend of Zelda well, style. We could always ask, uh, who's it, Melina or one of the one of the Mortal Kombat girls? Uh, Melina, yeah. Melina, yeah. Um, oh no, no, that was Katana. Katana, excuse me. Yeah. Melina's got the uh, jaws. She's got the weird the face. jaws and the sigh. Yeah. She's got the Baraka face because mm-hmm. she's like one of them or she's something. Like, yeah, Tarkartan. Yeah. Some other things as far as tools and video games that I wanted to mention, cameras. Cameras. So mm. so something like uh, my thought when I think of excellent use of a camera dynamic in a game is Dead, uh, Dead Rising. I would where, have said Fatal Frame. Oh, okay. Fatal Frame is also Fatal a good frame. one. Yep. But Dead Rising, I haven't actually played a whole lot. Okay. But uh, how how do, how do they use it? They use it as as kind of you um your character Frank West, and then I'm just talking about the first game. Gotcha. Um, Frank West is a character that he's a photojournalist, and he's mm. stuck in this. You know, he gets dropped off because there's this big zombie outbreak, and it's at this mall and then he gets stuck in the mall and his helicopter doesn't come back. But that's what he is, is he's a, he's a photojournalist. Mm -hmm. So he wants to get all the best shots of the zombies as close as possible. Uh, Of course. And there's a cool dynamic where you can open up, um, you get points for the better your photograph is and the more zombies are in it and stuff like that. Kind of a la, a la Pokemon snap, but Mm. not kind of, you know, a rail shooter. It's part of like you exploring the environment. So you get ranked based on your photos which I guess you send back to whoever the newspaper <laughs> the is. Mysterious government yeah, forces. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's like it's got a this camera dynamic that you can sometimes be in the middle of action and if you got a good photo opportunity, mm-hmm. instead of using your weapon, you pull out your camera and you gotta 
try and take a photo of like, you know, 17 zombies in a, in, in the same photo as a clown or, and you know, just like weird sort of things like that. Okay. But, but you're actually cool. using it for its purpose. Absolutely. Um, and then also Beyond Good and Evil was another kind of old school yeah, game. Did you ever play the original Beyond Good and Evil? No, I, but I definitely sort of lump it into the same category as Psychonauts. Yeah. Um, it's, it's it was definitely a beloved 3D platformer that hopefully it will make a comeback. That, that, I, I keep on hearing about a Beyond Good and Evil 2 yeah, but, somewhere. But, you know, that's the thing, too. It's like they've had – I haven't seen any footage of Beyond Good and Evil 2 since – a few years ago, oh. and, and and Ubisoft has kind of gone silent on whether or not it's happening. What what it seems like that they did was they started with the story. The story was great, but then the scope of the whole thing grew tremendously. Mm, yeah, I think what they did was they tried to kind of merge a concept that they had been working on previously. That kind of adjusts the scale of the universe and things like that some of the footage i saw was just amazing but it mm. didn't seem like it was a it didn't seem like a beyond good and evil game it sounded it, it seemed more like a space travel kind of game like Trippy. some yeah so i don't know where they're at i, I don't think it's ever going to come out but the first mm. one had a really fun story that involved you were trying to unearth this conspiracy thing that was going on on this planet involving these aliens and one of the things that you used was a camera you would be you know given certain points and bonuses for taking photos of various wildlife you came into contact with mm -hmm. which is kind of like pokemon snap was which was yeah. a rail sh shooter where you're shooting pictures of pokemon now that i'm thinking about it cameras are like definitely the most well-used tool in video games yeah. now i'm like thinking of like outlast one other tool related game that i think of that's more along the lines of there was a there was kind of a, a trend in DS games like early on mm -hmm. that was, you know, uh, along the lines of Jobs. <laughs> oh, like you know, there was uh, the uh, the Phoenix Wright games yeah. where you know, like you know ridiculous You're a lawyer You're a lawyer. Yeah, um, there was a game that I remember that was a lot of fun called Trauma Center Under the Knife, Ooh. which was a game developed by Atlas. Atlas is also a company that can do no wrong for yeah, me. Yeah, they uh, I have always really wanted to play Catherine. Yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. But that puzzle is like Oh, yeah, the, the, the climber. Yeah. yeah, it's ridiculous. And I, and I got the latest one too. So I, I do have it. I would love to see that. That'd yeah, be, it's pretty awesome. It, they just added a new, a new character. So they add some more story elements, story nice. beats, endings. But it's pretty much as ridiculous as it was before with the whole puzzle climber thing. Absolutely. Um, Trauma Center Under the Knife, yeah. which used the DS screen, and you were basically doing it's, – it's set in the future where mm. – the near future where medical science can cure Anything. previously incurable diseases. Ooh. And you have something called the Healing Touch so, <laughs> right. so the, the, and there's there's a pandemic that occurs in this game. Uh oh, uh, oh no! Yeah, the How familiar. The, the, the disease is called guilt. It's <laughs> on the nose. <laughs> right? Yeah, guilt. Everyone yes. has it. And, oh no! And, and you're and you're a young, uh, you're a young uh, member of this, you know, this um, hospital uh, that is trying to figure out a 
treatment for guilt. <laughs> but anyway, part of the whole the whole oh, game dynamics is using yeah. using tools like you've got things where you sew people up and you mm-hmm. and there have been a number of games that done that. Like there are a couple of uh, cartoon network games um, yeah. that did some some like funny kind of things involving uh, surgery. Yeah. But this is the first game that I remember where you would do certain like job like things like cut someone open and then remove something and then do the these things. Sew it back up. Yep, yeah. Exactly. And that was uh, as you were trying to cure guilt. <laughs> It's not just like you know therapy. No, no, uh, it's, it's just, it's, there are no uh, there are no SSRIs in the near future. Ah, clearly not. No, um, but anyway, uh, and then the other one I came up with as far as also a DS sort of game involving mm. tools, more of cooking tools, oh. um, cooking mama, the whole oh, cooking yeah. mama series, cooking mama, yeah. Um, which has taken a lot, an interesting sort of, you know, uh, circuitous route as far as how it's transferred hands, the property Indeed, itself. Yeah. But it is an interesting, you know, an interesting idea where you're learning how to cook things and do certain tasks yeah. like slicing and stuff with the touch screen. And, you know, they've got a number of versions of those, but I yeah. think the better ones are the ones that you can use the touch screen for. Oh, definitely. Something um, that actually incorporates, uh, new things yeah. like uh, ps4's touchpad yeah i, I wonder if like there's that. gonna yeah i wonder if there's gonna be a, you know a, a cooking game that's a creative cooking game where you have to like like that's the whole platforming thing is you've got to figure out where to get the ingredients yeah. you use these ingredients and you try and come up with something creative but how would you gamify would you that? that i i, I honestly the closest game that i've heard of that comes even close to doing that was overcooked. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that that one felt a little bit more uh, arcadey. Yeah, yeah. And, that's exactly what it was. Yeah. It was it was a cooperative. You know, uh, cooperative games are are kind of in rare supply. But I think they that's are, that's yeah. a really cool sort of like overcooked couch, couch co-op. Yeah, it would be too frustrating for me to play though. Yeah, no, I, I, it pissed me off. Yeah, you know, I got I, I got mad at it. Did you play with Cheyenne or did you play? No, it by I, uh, I played it with my uh, cousin. Okay, and uh, he he was like, "Yeah, it's pretty fun because we've both had some nice, some good and bad experiences in kitchen work." So we were like, "This is a game for us, clearly." Right. right. Uh, and uh, I just was not a fan. Uh, yeah. But you know, I. I like I I enjoyed playing it with him. That the act of gaming on it with my buddy on the couch. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Can't can't beat that. I think I talked about it on the last show. One of the things that I loved about going to the arcades when I was younger was that whole sort of being with your friends, that camaraderie. Yeah. yeah, and and talking and meeting people and sort of a social aspect. So Absolutely. whenever I play multiplayer games. I generally have to be with someone. Uh, I don't want to necessarily, I don't want to talk to them on the phone, right? Like you would with a, you can do that and that's cool, but it's like something missing when you don't have someone with you. Absolutely. In that instance, the couch is a tool. It is. The couch itself is the both the meeting place and resting place. We could talk about tools for quite some time. It is a big subject. It is a big subject. It is. But we gotta close the show. Gotta wrap it up. Gotta wrap it up. So what you what do you have closing thoughts on the the word tool? Every tool has its right time and place. Yes. Just like everything else. And once uh, once you find it or it finds you. 
you'll you'll be thankful for it. All right, yes, that's a indeed. that's a that's a good closer. That's a good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. No got problem. The, got the tool for the task. Tool for the task. Yep. There's always the right one. Yep, absolutely. Choose the right tools. Thank you very much for joining us this week on the Too Vague Podcast. My name is Ben. My name is Arden. And have a wonderful night or day or whatever time of day it is in your neck of the woods. Bye. Bye.